0: you want to know what the best email marketing service is for your small business? Well, I've got the team for you. EmailToolTester.com is the place to find reviews and tutorials of newsletter services like ActiveCampaign, MailChimp, GetResponse, and many more. Download their free comparison spreadsheet that will help you find the best email marketing service among many providers. Just Google Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. Again, just Google it, Email Tool Tester Comparison Template, to find it. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their Social Index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies.
1: For all of us. It's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads
0: that don't suck.
1: Embracing change creates great
0: possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is marketing today. Today on the show I've got Heidi Zack. She's the co-founder and CEO of Third Love. Third Love is the third largest online bra and underwear company in America, and she is on a mission to get every single woman in a great-fitting, beautiful, and comfortable bra that makes her feel confident. Today on the show, Heidi and I talk about where did she learn this knack for business, and you'll hear about her first job. You'll hear about how she transitioned from that first job to the path towards creating Third Love, and a little bit about the founding story and how that all came about. And then we talk about COVID, frankly, and the pivot that they've had to make in the business, the changes that they've made in marketing, how the business is doing to this point and how it's you know, coming back and coming back stronger based on some of the cuts that they made throughout the time. Then we'll talk a little bit about how they're influencing and affecting change through Black Lives Matter and their TL effect and promoting female entrepreneurs of color. And you'll hear about the winner of their first TL effect. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Heidi Zach. Well, Heidi, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I always like to start off with some sort of personal nugget if I can. And I hear your first job was actually working a farm stand. What did you learn from that experience? Tell me about where you grew up as well.
1: Yeah. I don't know how how you found that out, but but yeah, I grew up in a small town outside of Niagara Falls, New York. Um, My town was about 3000 people. And there was a lot of farmland around there. And so my first job in high school was working on a farmer's market. And so I did everything from picking produce to merchandising the store, servicing customers, and You know, an interesting learning was definitely um, really thinking holistically about the customer experience. So it was a really beautiful kind of wooden barn um, meant to look really old-fashioned. And one of the things that we had in the store was we didn't use like a real cash register. We used an old-fashioned one and we actually wrote down each item in in a notebook and added it up ourselves. And so it had sort of this really holistic, small town kind of feel. And I think that also made it a really nice place for people to come and buy their produce. So it was definitely something that I learned a lot about customer service and merchandising um, at a really young age.
0: And growing up in a rural environment, now you are in the fashion business. That's a pretty big transition. Like when did you spark to clothing, I guess? And and fashion in general outside of agriculture?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So after after college, I found my way to New York City, sort of the opposite of where I grew up. And um, I was doing investment banking and I chose to work in the retail group at the bank. And I really wanted to work with companies where I understood the products um, that they were selling. And so I always had this passion around consumer products and retail. And so from that point in my career, that was really a focus. And after business school, I ended up going to Aeropostal, which is a teen retailer, a mall-based teen retailer. And that was really my first foray into apparel, so to speak. So there's always been a thread of the consumer and consumer products throughout my career.
0: Got it, got it. A lot of folks that I've talked to in recent history, it's interesting, you, you went to investment banking route. Um, I was just talking to another founder recently that was in the private equity banking space before becoming a tech founder. What attracted you to banking? And then, obviously, you wanted to get on the 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 other side of it, the industry that you were serving. I'm just curious, what were the triggers for that?
1: Yeah, so I mean, to be totally candid, I didn't really, you know, know what I like. I think like a lot of college grads, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and I, when I graduated college, my parents were like, "You're on your own. So if you want to move to New York, find a job that, that you can support yourself." So that actually had a part of it. Like I did need to do something where where I could pay my rent. But you no, know, in all seriousness, um, banking was I thought, and it ended up being so, just a really good entryway into understanding basic business principles. So you know, I think no matter what kind of business owner you are from a really large company to a small a small business, you really need to understand your financials from revenue and expenses and really understand that in order to optimize your business and make sure you you make money and you can be successful. So I think there was a lot of basics I learned doing banking and then just hard skill sets like Excel and and things like that that are just crucial. And, you know, a lot of those skills I still use today at Third Love. So that was why I did it. And, and then why did I I want to switch to the other side well I mean finance is finance so after a certain amount of time doing it I knew I didn't want to have a career in finance I wasn't passionate about it and I really wanted to understand and learn how an apparel business operated and that's why I wanted to go quote unquote to the other side so away from like a service industry and into more of an operating model and um, that's why I made the switch.
0: Got it. Got it. So you made, you had all the learning, you made the switch to the industry side or the operating side. When did you realize that you wanted to strike out on your own and found third love?
1: Yeah, so the journey then, you know, I went from New York, I ended up coming out to the West Coast to San Francisco with my husband in 2010, so about 10 years ago, and I took a job at Google and and that was my first foray into a true tech company. So again, I just had this totally different experience at Google, so many good learnings, amazing people, but when I was out in the on the West Coast, all of a sudden, I was just blown away and totally obsessed with everything going up in the startup space. And this is this is still before it became so mainstream, meaning entrepreneurship. But for me, just meeting people who are building really interesting businesses, trying to change the world, I was really inspired and I had a lot of not great business ideas. And then one day I really came home and I was like, I got this idea on starting a bra company for the modern woman. And I did the research and talked to my co-founder, who's my husband, and we eventually decided this was a big market, huge opportunity. One big company owned 40% of the market at the time, and it seemed like a no-brainer. And that was really the impetus to quit my well-paying, cushy job at Google and work for free to start Third Love.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Got it. I can only imagine, I mean, you're in the heart of Silicon Valley. You're Transitioning from a tech job, you're in this like tech bubble, if you will. Like, how'd those conversations go when you thought about maybe going from working for free and trying to figure this idea out to potentially raising money? I I can't imagine many like dudes in the VC community understood what you were even talking about.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, again, when we were raising our initial round in 2013 our seed round, D to C wasn't even a term. So direct-to-consumer didn't exist. And I remember those early pitch meetings where you're right, I think 90, 97% of those meetings were men. And a lot of the conversation actually revolved around, would a woman even buy a bra online? Like, Is this even a category that you can sell digitally? And so the world was just, even though that's only seven years ago, it was very different. And so There was a lot, a lot of no's, but I think eventually we had some yeses. And these men, I think, really saw that opportunity and in a very old school industry that had zero, basically like very, very little innovation over the past 30 years, really this opportunity to to do things differently in all ways, in all aspects. And that's kind of how we landed that first round of investment.
0: I know you've been hugely successful um since the founding. I mean, it, it seems like you you've been riding a rocket ship to some degree. And then 2020 hits and you have we have are all living through this global pandemic. How how has COVID impacted the business at this point?
1: Yeah, so I think it's been it's been mixed, right? I mean, in in March when when the pandemic hit, our revenue dropped and we were We just kind of hunkered down and really said, let's prepare for the worst. And so what does the worst mean, I guess, for us as a business? Really what we modeled out was what happens if our revenue drops to zero because we can't ship any goods? what does that look like if that happens for two weeks or four weeks or six weeks? And obviously the worst didn't happen that, that, that never happened to us. And, and, and I would say overall, you know, the business recovered a lot better than we probably had initially forecasted back in March. But I think that exercise was really important to us to optimize. And so we unfortunately had to do some layoffs, which was really difficult, but the right decision for us as a business, we cut back on marketing expenses to really focus on efficiency. And then we looked at every aspect of the business and just really thought about, are these nice to haves or need to haves? And through that, I actually think our business in terms of the operations and the financials has in some ways come out stronger through this pandemic than, than pre-pandemic. So there is obviously always a silver lining. And I think we've been able to find that somewhat through this pandemic.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it sounds like you've streamlined yourself to as much as you possibly can. It sounds like the business is stabilized and potentially coming back. How is your market changing? Like has the market changed or is it more of the same? I'm curious if anything's shifted.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely shifted because everybody's working from home, right? Where most people are. And there was kind of the running joke was, you know, you don't need a bra, right? Or you don't need a bra. And I think that that had its moment. And I think now there's a little bit of it's been a journey, you know, a journey of mindset and of the consumer, but certainly comfort. And whether that means your bra, your underwear, sleepwear, potentially maybe wearing active wear from your couch as you work all day, there's just a difference in the woman's mindset of what she's going to wear. And so absolutely that's impacted sort of selling patterns we've seen and just how we're thinking about the customer and also thinking about how to market to her right so that idea of and self-care i think you know investing in things um, for yourself all of those aspects have been really important to make sure we're in line with where our customer is
0: and how is marketing involving for you guys i mean you said you you know, initially you had to cut back have you have you brought things back and i'm, I'm curious maybe a couple of things. I'm sorry for so many questions I'm peppering you with, but like what did you cut down to? Like what did you keep? And then what have you maybe started to build back at this point on the marketing side?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, one of the things we really I would say the the channel we probably pulled back on the most was was linear TV, which was a an area we were really starting to scale up until when COVID hit and TV is a big investment. It tends to be a bit longer in terms of seeing that build in brand awareness, and then trickling down to customer acquisition over time. So that was an area, you know, we scaled back on. And then we just really looked at every single channel of many, you know, that we do spend money in, how could we potentially make every dollar matter more. So in some ways, our shift really went from full funnel marketing to thinking more about mid to lower funnel where people or our customer may be more primed to make a purchase. Now, I would say over the past month or two, we've now started to reinvest in mid and higher funnel marketing again and have seen some really great success in Hulu and then podcast, which is something we've done since 2015, since the early days of podcasts, but definitely starting to reinvest more in that mid to kind of upper funnel funnel marketing over the over the past few weeks
0: gotcha okay and what what do you you attribute your marketing success business success to from a marketing standpoint so far like in in the evolution of the company
1: so I think we're quite agile and we're constantly trying to innovate and change. And so as we all know, if you're a marketer, right, is that the pace of change on both like the platforms and the consumer and the competitive landscape is evolving at a rapid pace, right? It actually feels like, at least in my mind over the past eight years, it gets quicker and quicker every year. And so and those changes are occurring at a more rapid pace. And so that means you need to constantly be evolving. So just because something's working doesn't necessarily it's, means it's going to work in six months. And so we are always trying to test out new creative, new messaging, new channels to really understand where there's potential for expansion or change. And I think crucial to our success has really been that pace of testing that pace of innovation and creation of something new all the time because that's how you stay ahead of stay ahead of the competition
0: A lot of people have struggled with content creation during this time. Um, I mean, just the pure safety aspects of it, if nothing else, uh, it gets a little tricky um, into how you handle that. And I know you guys have used uh, quite a bit of user generated content in recent times. Have things normalized in your ability to like drive content or, you know, go on the studio shoot, so to speak? And any tips you've had kind of navigating your way through that would be helpful to others.
1: Yeah. In the early days of COVID, when we were, I think, on extreme lockdown, um, we really just kind of went back to the well. And so I think one, one interesting thing that came out of doing that is obviously the amount of assets that we've created over the past years, right? Whether those are photographs or video content you can be really creative with how you're cutting your ads, your marketing in different ways and how you're leveraging graphics or how you're leveraging your calls to action or your content. And so that's really what we spent the first few months on was just recutting and relooking and doing things differently with what we have. And I think as marketers, sometimes you're you're constantly in the cycle of content creation, which is good, but sometimes you may not actually maximize the assets that you've created already because you're onto the next thing. So in some ways there was a real forcing function for our team there to be like, wow, we do actually, we can create a lot more stuff with what we have today, right? Without creating anything net new. And so I think that was, that was actually something that I'm really, again, like there's always that silver lining. That was definitely something where it was like, wow, the team really could execute. And then we shifted from that into getting some more content from both like our customers and our team. So really leveraging both content generated by our third love customers. And then also because our team is mostly women working from home. Some of them have participated in content creation as well. And I think that realism and connection between the brand and our our real employees and content has been strong. And then of late, you know, we've gone back to doing socially distanced shoots, right? So now we're back. Back in the content creation business, although it looks a bit different than it has in the past. So yeah, there's definitely been these different stages, but I would say the big learning for us has been getting the most out of every single thing you produce.
0: Yeah. I think that to your point around silver linings and just driving more efficiencies with what you have, it is funny how much marketers, and I put myself in this camp, right? As a marketer, like we, we want, everything to be new and shiny, but a lot of times the goodness is in the stuff we've already done. We just need to dust it off and leverage it again. When we last spoke, you talked a bit about like the support of all the movements that were going on around us, like Black Lives Matter and the company's approach to that. I'd love for you to speak to like the initiative we talked about, the TL effect, and tell listeners a little bit about that program and and what's come about as it relates to that.
1: Yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been a lot going on, a lot going on in 2020. But yes, uh, when all the conversations really kind of heated up in May, June of this year, in particular around Black Lives Matter, the Elements of kind of inclusivity and diversity are really core to Third Love in our brand, in our customer base, in our team, right? And and again, that's kind of core to who Third Love is, right? And and what we do every single day. And so when when all everything was going on, we were debating, you know, how do we show our support and how do we help communities be succeed, right? And what's our part in that as a company? And, um, you know, a lot of companies donated money for us that didn't make sense at the time, given we had just done layoffs at our company. And so we had to take a second and it, it wasn't like we snapped our fingers and had a program, you know, out in a month. It took us a little bit. But the idea for TL Effect, I was just thinking about the fact that we as a brand stand for empowering women and lifting each other up. And female entrepreneurship is a personal cause that I'm really vested in myself. And I just came up with this idea and I pinged the team and I was like, how about we create some program where we can support a female founder of color and see if we can help, you know, her business scale. And that was really the genesis of this idea. And so we just picked our first winner and um, we had 650 applicants. I would have been happy. I said, if we get a hundred, I'll be jumping up and down and we got to 150. So there's a lot of female founders of color starting businesses. So that's really exciting. And the goal of the program is to provide a monetary grant mentorship through functional areas at third love, different teams from marketing to merchandising, supply chain, et cetera. And then obviously I do calls with the founder as well. And then helping promote the brand and platform through Third Love. And so highlighting the company, the product, and really offering an additional platform to help another female founder scale. And the real end goal is not just this one winner who's amazing, but it's, you know, at the end of a few years, this program can be ongoing and the community of TL Effect winners can continue to expand. And for every successful business created, those are jobs created, those are cultures created. And that's what I'm most excited about is sort of those concentric circles that that go beyond kind of any one winner of the program.
0: No, I, lo- I love the idea of the program and the putting your knowledge and expertise to work because it it's great when you can give money, right? Like money is what's needed a lot of times, but I think when you can apply your talents and your skills to a cause you can probably contribute that much more. Like there's a multiplier effect to the, to the impact that you can have. So you have to tell me about the winner. Like you, you've teased it a couple times. Tell me, tell me the winner. What is this? What is the company?
1: So the company's name is Cutie Cutie Nails, K Y U T E E. It doesn't. It's not spelled exactly how you might have thought. And the founder's name is Ara Sims, and she's amazing. And so we were just really blown away by her passion and enthusiasm and just what she's built as a one-woman show to date, pretty much. And so the business is um, is custom kind of stick-on nails where you don't need any nail polish. You you stick on your nails, you cut them off and trim them, and you have a perfect manicure you know, in under a minute. And she came up with this idea during COVID and with all the nail salons being shut down as a obviously something convenient that women can women or men can do from home but even more than that it's what's on the nails and so she has done this really cool collection of of vote nails right that you can wear that say vote right um so this idea of alignment with causes or moments and being able to showcase that on your nails or doing custom prints for other businesses those type of things it's just this really interesting twist on how you can be support causes through through what you show to the world, even through your nails. So she's really awesome.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds like a phenomenal business. And again, taking advantage of the the times that we live in too, to create a product that people could do it by themselves at home. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to tell my daughter who's 13. She's starting to get into the nails and that. Yeah, kind of
1: she love it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, cool. Switching gears. We Always like to get to know the person behind the business, behind the founding story a little bit more. And I'm curious if there's an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, I think one of the really defining moments for me was growing up doing competitive gymnastics. I think for me as a young woman, I spent 20 to 30 hours a week in the gym, you know, on top of. Schoolwork and everything else. And I think in those moments of dedication, it really illustrated to me that. And look, I never became some, you know, Olympic level gymnast, but it really shows about kind of dedication and commitment. And that's been like a tenant that I've really carried throughout my life. And I think everyone always says, or so the saying goes that, you know, you're the CEO is not the smartest person, right? I'm not the smartest person at third love by any stretch, but if you're dedicated and passionate and you work really hard, that to me is like the most important thing that you can do um, that can create success.
0: That's a great, Great moment. Add on to your story a minute because I'm curious if if you had this experience when, um, as you were in the peak of you know doing your competitive gymnastics. But my wife was a, a collegiate swimmer. I didn't make college level, but I was a wrestler throughout my time. So I'm short and squatty and square, and she's tall and athletic build for her own self. And both of us to this day, complain about clothes not fitting. Like they don't make men's clothes short enough for me and they don't make them tall enough for her (laughs) on the women's side. Did you have a similar uh, frustration as you were going through? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think I'm more like you. I feel like I'm on the shorter side, but I think, look, we all struggle with, I think it's, it's interesting is the way the apparel industry works and whether that's a shirt, pants or a bra, is that, and most people don't realize this, is that these sizes are created off a block based on an individual that they deem to be, they're the average or the perfect size, right? And so in bras in particular, there is one fit model who is the 34B fit model, which is the standard kind of of all bras. That's where bras start from is this one size. And Everybody uses her. And I remember when we went to our first fitting in New York and we used her too, and we showed up and I said to my head of design, who is our chief creative officer today, I was like, this is crazy. We're fitting this 34B that millions and millions of women of all different heights, shapes, sizes, body types, wear. And we're going to create it off of this one woman and how she thinks the bra fits. This is nuts. And that was the last time we did that. And we really built Third Love and our product in a different way to fit on real women and take multiple types of bodies into account when we're designing any one size. And so... I do think apparel in some ways is broken because of this idea of the average, because if you fit the average, then you're, you're not taking into account all the different body types. And so it's an interesting point that you make. I mean, specifically for me, A, I was wearing the wrong bra size for my whole adult life. I didn't know that until after I started Third Love. And then the other thing is I'm a half cup. And so I never had a bra that fit. So if you think about shoes and shoes have half sizes, right? Bras don't. And so a lot of times it's like this Goldilocks syndrome where you either have a bra that's too big or too small. Well, I'm a half cup and we created half cups at Third Love because there's millions of women just like me who are in between traditional sizes. So I think the creativity that can come from somebody outside of apparel who comes in and is like, why are we doing it this way or any industry? I think that lens is really important.
0: Maybe there's a a men's line in your future. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. All right. Well, um, you'll have to let me know because I'll be first in line. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this all over again?
1: I would say don't focus on where you're going. Focus on getting the most out of each moment that you're in. In the early days of my career, I think like a lot of younger people, you're thinking about like, when am I going to get that promotion? Or when am I going to move to this company and do this other thing? Or when am I going to do whatever it is, right? And what I wish I would have done more of is really value each moment and each opportunity, because if you even think about an experience where maybe it wasn't the perfect company, the perfect role, or the perfect manager, there's so much you learn from each experience about yourself, about others, and about how you do and don't want to take your career. And so I think the, the focus on getting the most out of each moment is something that I really wish I would have done more of when I was younger in my career.
0: Great advice. Well, this next question is a little silly and I'll admit it, but I love getting the answers <laughs> and builds my, uh, my shopping list, if you will. But has there been an impactful purchase of say a hundred dollars or less in the last six to 12 months that you want like to share with other people?
1: Yes. So it's not, it's, I don't know if this counts, but Mine is a uh, consumable, so but it is under $100 for the subscription per month. I think it's like 70 I forget. And it's called Magic Mine. So a friend of mine who was a founder of another company created this, this drink, and it, it, it's it got matcha and mushroom extract, and it is just this little shot of green juice kind of that you drink in the morning, and it really helps you stay focused, lower your stress levels throughout the day, um, have consistency. Consistent energy, and it's been amazing. So, I've never really done these kind of things before, but to me, it literally has made me so much more focused and less anxious that I highly recommend trying it out.
0: I'm going to go to the website after we're done. <laughs> so, let me know. What you am- think.
1: Let me know. What yeah,
0: that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Similarly, I um, this is longer than a year ago, but my wife and I would try to get off coffee and switch to drinking tea, and specifically uh, guayusa tea from Ecuador, and it provides a similar like kind of like focus aspect, long burning energy, not not the typical crash we were getting with the coffee aspects of caffeine. So I'm interested to try this out. It sounds pretty pretty amazing. Well, um, last two questions for you. Most folks like yourself are students of what's going on around them and kind of study other businesses, other brands or companies, or even causes that they're taking notice of. Curious what those might be for you and
1: and any you know rationale or story behind them? Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, one of the more interesting areas of just tools and technology of late as it relates to third love has really been around SMS. So we've been doing a lot more testing and research using text partners. And so one of the things that I'm constantly doing is um, just signing up for other brands, right? Joining, joining their programs, um, really understanding how brands are using that one-to-one, potentially one-to-one relationship with somebody through their mobile phone and through text in particular to have those conversations. So there's not one specific specific brand that I would shout out to, but just, I really do believe that that connection with the customer, um, especially as a marketer is going to be hugely important and the unlock there into how you get somebody's number, what kind of cadence you you use to talk to them, what kinds of content you're sharing with your customer via texting has been something that I've just been diving deep into lately.
0: Yeah, no, I, it's fascinating you mentioned that. A friend of mine is now at, God, I'm gonna get the name of the company wrong, but I, I wanna say it's Community is one that's, and these are more geared, I'm not sure they are geared towards brands necessarily, but they're geared to like the influencer community and those types of places. And then another person, I've had on the show literally probably three or four years ago now at this point um, is Ryan Leslie who created Superphone similar but he applied it in the music industry to try to create that direct relationship and get off the platforms or, or at least form that direct connection with consumers through a text and SMS number and they've seen dramatic results both in both cases so it's fascinating what you might think is a I don't think it's old technology but it's just a more direct way of communicating and what are people willing to engage with you on in that very very one to one medium if you will so interesting I have to keep my eyes out for what you guys do next there the last question for you is what do you feel like is the largest opportunity or biggest threat to marketers today
1: yeah this is this is a great question. I mean, I just SMS, I guess, is is an area of opportunity. So I I, I guess to shift to challenges, it's just really noisy, right? So if we look at the landscape today, not only do we have all the sort of more traditional brands that have been around a long time, you have so many upstarts in every vertical, and we're all competing for consumer mindshare. So even if you're not directly competitive with another brand, because you don't even sell the same category, it doesn't matter because you're competing for mindshare and you're competing to um, build your company or product or service and effectively use your marketing dollars. So to me, the biggest challenge is standing out from the competition and memorability in an increasingly crowded just space generally. And so again, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, the idea of, constant innovation and constant sort of reinvention is really, really important because that pace of change has been increasing. So for example, let's take third love. If I look back to third love in 2016, the idea of being an inclusive bra brand was still radically different from what most players were doing. And so When we showed inclusive images, when we talked about our size range, we stood out from the competition and that became a pillar of our brand. Well, flash forward to today in 2020 going into 2021, inclusivity is table stakes. If you're not inclusive, if you don't have a wide size range, you're probably not going to be that successful as a company. So that means some of the pillars that we built at Third Love and we built our brand on need to evolve as well. And so I just think for that's our story, but we all face that challenge in our own ways at our companies. And so to me, that's kind of the biggest focus area.
0: Yeah, no, it's an interesting challenge. A lot of categories are going through that particular like things I think of too completely outside of clothing and, and fashion would be like banking <laughs> and just how things have become commoditized and and new entrants have even commoditized things further. I use this funny analogy. I don't know if it's helpful for you and what you're going through, but as things become parody on the functional basis, you start to enter the liquor category <laughs> where all vodka is molecularly probably pretty similar, but based on the packaging and what you believe that it provides for you, makes all the difference in the world. I love that. Yeah. And it, a category I love to watch, not only because I like to participate in drinking, but uh, <laughs> the, because the the marketing is fascinating, um, as well, you know, how they, uh, twist and turn over the years and reinvent themselves over and over and over again, but yet still big, still are able to build a brand around it. Anyway, Heidi, it's been great talking to you. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts and expertise.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.